Okay, uh, welcome to the Benzo Rehab Dungeon. This is our seventh, I believe, uh, conversation about uh, religion and deconstruction of religion. Um, I am joined, as always, by a friend of the show, uh, Jacob. And uh, we are also joined today by uh, a very special guest, uh, Sal from document1.doc on Instagram. Um, Sal, how are you doing today? We're good, about halfway through this BSO getting better yes always better all right and jacob how are you today i'm good i'm just drinking some uh, water with lemon peel because i had some beers last night so <laughs> some, yeah i also had take, some take beers last easy. night yeah yeah um well i guess what i mean is i'm not drinking beers now because i'm out of beers if i had beers i'd be fair enough big time toking yes. it up um well, cool. So, Sal, you're here today to talk about uh, Islam. Um, kind of your writ large. Writ large. Right? Yeah. I never want to. I never want to like give anybody the, um, the 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 idea that I am any sort of fucking uh, how do you call it like, uh, authority on the subject of Islam. For sure. Uh, but um, I do think that. Uh, well, I hope that some of the experiences that I've gone through. In terms of my sort of uh, development with religion, may be interesting to the listener. Uh, and and you are the one of the official listeners. I'm actually, you're probably the the official listener. You, um, right, as of this month, I believe. I think yeah, that it might rotate. I, yeah, I, I think your point. picture's still up in the uh, the listener of the month. Uh, uh, Hell yeah! Right. Where is that? By the way, I just wanted to take a picture for my mom. Is that, uh, is it, that it, it, <laughs> it exists in the same area that the uh, Benzo Rehab Dungeon exists in, which is nowhere. Um, mm. So, oh, I see. Okay. Yeah, well, just imagine that it's there. Someday. Yeah. Right, right, right. <laughs> So yeah, I guess that's the general topic that's going to be about uh, yeah. revolving around. Yeah. So so uh, you were you were thinking the other day about how you kind of wanted to to go through your story. Um, I don't know if there's any mm. prompt you wanna you wanna have me give you or or what. Um, maybe if you could Honestly, just I'll, I'll open it up to the to take the take the here, wheel like you... take the wheel. Oh yeah. Yeah. Should I, should I just go ahead and do it, man. So I think that like opposite to uh, what I've, I've usually heard in, on the religious deconstruction episodes, which is that, you know, usually I'll have been to like a, a you know, Catholic church or, or some sort of, you know, Sunday school or something like that, you know, proper religious upbringing. I also had the same thing. So I was born in Baghdad in Iraq. Excuse me, I'm Bobby. Um Baghdad in Iraq. And I... Uh, Came from a like let's say a uh, moderately religious family. Um, you know they weren't overly zealous about any of it, but they liked to discuss it and they liked to sort of you know follow it to as best as they can. You know a kind of philosophy for life. So I grew up around that, and I also grew up very close to a mosque, which isn't very difficult if you live in. <laughs> no doubt. 
<laughs> so just around the corner was the mosque of our neighborhood. And so I even enlisted, um, you know, encouraged to, but also I had the interest uh, in the Friday school. In the Friday school, because Friday is the Sabbath, uh, or at least the holy uh, prayer day, the most holy day. Um, and so, yeah, I would after the, the Friday prayer would be around noon. And after that, I'd stay back. Um, and me and a bunch of kids from the neighborhood would sit around our imam. Um, and he was a younger guy because, you know, usually the, the guys who told the kids were a little younger. Uh, and, uh, you know, it was really nice to see somebody who was maybe in their 20s or 30s being like a six, seven-year-old kid who looked as a 20-year-old who looked like he kind of was put together, you know? Um What's that you know. like? <laughs> <laughs> it's like yeah. This guy knows what he's oneself, right? Yeah. I don't know. What is it? Like, uh, uh, maybe this is a point where I'll ask you all. Is there like, I feel like there's also something similar in the whole hot pastor type thing. Where it's like, if there's a young, a young kind that's, of. That's, that's Protestant shit. Yeah. Oh yeah. It, it, it is very oh, much Protestant yeah, that's, that's shit. Protestant like Protestant shit. Yeah. Especially like the the, the cool uh, the cool hip uh, youth pastor. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, well, because Catholics don't give a shit about fellowship, and so you don't have to worry about yeah selling with sex. Whereas the Protestants are like fellowship, fellowship, fellowship. Oh. Yeah. So then, who no. would teach you in like a, a Sunday school? The priests would, but uh, you know. Typically, it wouldn't be the kids thinking the priest was hot. It would be the priest thinking the kids were hot, right? <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> so, um, I, I was waiting yeah. for something like that to come up. And yeah, go no, I, 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 like, I, I, we're I talking about kids there. and then pastors. Yeah. There, there's no way. Yeah, this is, yeah. Well, yeah. I, I, I think I've demonstrated on these episodes my uh, uh, deep-seated love and respect for uh children and <laughs> their, their value as human beings yeah uh-huh. um, <laughs> right. so yeah, so, and, yeah and that's go ahead go ahead sorry that's interesting because like that is one thing that um we don't we didn't get much of you know on our side of of, of the world because i think because part of it is just that um overall arab uh society tends to be a bit more uh, conservative about sex in general Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, things of that nature are punishable, are punished very heavily, right? And so I think it's like, it just doesn't, like it's such an oppressive structure in that term, which is, I would say, a good thing, um, that it doesn't even like, except for like, I guess the bigger mosques with the more sort of structural kind of thing to them, it mm-hmm. didn't usually happen in like small neighborhoods. The diddling, or what? Right. <laughs> yeah, diddling. Diddling. yeah, exactly. Yeah, gotcha. Okay. Uh, Just want to make sure because well, that's they that, they keep that shit to the the Bachabazi or whatever, right? And that's all mm-hmm. to Afghan Afghanistan and Pakistan. Not the Arabs. Not the Arabs. The Arabs aren't diddling kids. It's just the. The Pashtuns and the Pakistanis. <laughs> well, I wouldn't say any of that. Um, I don't. I don't have a dog in the fight, and you probably don't either, because dogs are whole, or uh, are haram. <laughs> well, you know, if, if we know about some things about some people. Uh, dogs may be delicious to eat, uh, and so on. And so forth. Yeah. I'm trying to do but it. Any, I can well, so, uh, 
So I'm, I'm curious. So uh, are you from a Sunni or Shia family? I'm from a Sunni family. Okay. And then, cause in, as far as like um, socioeconomic status goes, uh, yeah. what, well, especially like in, I just don't know, like, you know, um, Iraqi society, like I know Iraq, it has one of the largest Shia populations, right? Um, but in terms of like institutional power, um, who is it that has it? How does, uh, you know, in terms really of- Interesting, right, right, right. I understand what your question is in general. So like, okay, economically speaking, um, our position, my family, uh, before we left Iraq was, um, I would say, like lower middle class, kind of mm. upper working class. I don't even know mm. if I can really say that. The problem is uh, these things get really hard to define once you're talking about a country that is under economic sanctions for a few decades. Right. Because everybody's kind of poor. Like, yeah. you know, unless you are attached to the government or you are one of those old money families, mm. uh, and there are some of them, but if you are not one of them, then you're not kind of like either coasting by or coasting by, but it sucks. Like uh, my family, I remember that like um, my mother at a certain point, like uh, took down curtains because we had these heavy like winter curtains that they were like double layered. And then what she would do is like take the, one of the layers off and then make us clothes out of them, mm. right? So it's like, yeah, that sounds pretty bad, but then you take in the rest of the country and it's like, well, nobody else is really doing that much, right? But maybe that's also skewed because remember, or, or not remember, it should be acknowledged that I left Iraq by the time I was 12, right? So a lot of my memories are quite early age. So that was really what was happening. Um, what I've learned, though, in the process, I haven't, uh, doesn't seem to contradict the, my image of it. As to the Shia and the Sunni uh, sort of split, um, it is indeed by population, I believe, upwards of, no, more than 70% of the population is uh, Shia. Uh, mm -hmm. But um, as to who has the power, you have to ask about when. Because right, under sure. Saddam Hussein, right, it's like the Sunnis had power, but it was also sort of, at first at least, in the beginning of the Ba'ath Party, there were uh, ideas about secularizing the government. Um, right. So some of that also remained. But nonetheless, some oppression or suppression of the Shia population was occurring, uh, up to and including like violence. Um, right. And uh, after the war, things changed, but changed in, a, in an erratic and decentralized way. And so you end up with these locuses of power um, with like people like the Sistani or uh, Khomeini even, these imams, religious figures of the Shia uh, Islam uh, sect um, who play not only a religious figure, but also a political and military figure, um, and even a spiritual leadership, all that kind of thing. Um, and then there are also locuses of power that are more attached to the military, and because the old military was structured on this sort of pseudo-Sunni kind of like mm -hmm. arrangement, so there's a lot of like, basically what happens after the war is that because you take the central cornerstone of this hierarchical and, and just unjust uh, 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 government, uh, but you take the cornerstone out and now everything's everywhere, right? But for the time being, I think we can say that um, 
And the Shia population has certainly more sway in terms of uh, not only government, but also in terms of military power, independent militia power. Right. right. Um, and in terms of the religious power, then you have to take in into account all the other powers around in the Middle East. So you have Iran as a locus for the Shia population. But then you also have Saudi Arabia for the Sunnis. You have Egypt also for a different kind of Sunni interpretation. Um, yeah. But you also have like Syria, which is sort of, you know, not quite sure. And then you have Jordan, which is more Sunni, but, and then, and then you have Lebanon, which is more Shia. And so it's mm-hmm. all kind of, in a very delicate balance, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't really so, know if that really answers the question. Well, so where did your your family uh, emigrated um, during or after the invasion? And t- I'm Indeed. assuming, or to where, into where? Uh, so 2003 was the war, 2005 we left and we moved to Egypt. Okay. Um, and then we lived there for about three years and then we moved to Malaysia and lived there for about three years. Um, but the emigration was also a kind of way for me to reinterpret and reunderstand uh, Islam, mm. uh, because from the Sunday, from the Sunday, from the Friday school of like the little neighborhood uh, where we lived, to excuse me, Egypt and Cairo specifically, uh, where um, the sort of it's it's simultaneously more secular because there's stuff like shopping malls so it's a bit more and even like you know uh, hollywood movies were there all the time people dressed in a fashion that was a little bit more liberalized mm-hmm. than what you would have in iraq especially after the war because uh, let's say 2005 to or 2004 until possibly now the country had gone way further back in terms of their ideas about uh practicing islam and how people should wear and behave and so on and so do, do you think also like I mean, but it's also like the birthplace of the Muslim Brotherhood, right? And like Saeed Khatoub was there. Yes, exactly. You know, he's batshit insane. Being a little dismissive, but No, I think I think most reasonable people would say that he had some problematic ideas. <laughs> um, cancelable. Can- yeah, cancelable. Sure. Yeah. Well, and he got he got canceled. He got canceled too. He did. Didn't he try and take out? Uh, what he tried to take out Nasser or whatever, and God, yeah, it's, uh, I don't, I don't even know, thing. I can't remember, but yeah, anyway, sorry, it's all thing as well. Uh, but indeed, you, you're pointing in the right direction because, indeed, while it is more sort of liberalized and westernized in a specific way, it is also more sort of focused in terms of this, uh, the zealous part of right Muslims there, and well, grows strongly. And that's and that was his whole intellectual trajectory as well because he was educated here lived here for quite some time and just was like so kind of disgusted by you know western uh decadence, decadence. yeah exactly yeah. and and you know and rightfully so it, probably right <laughs> well, sure yeah but like uh, you know i mean it's it's i mean that's kind of like the that's the jumping off point though that's where the the critique of the the Salafists and the Wahhabists stops being reasonable where it's like, man, you guys are fucked up. Let's blow you up. And it's like, well, 
So, so you see, I think that there's an argument to be made that if it if it's like a, almost a counterfactual of history, that um, if there was a a sort of anti-imperialist tradition that had uh, sort of arisen in the Middle East to sort of give an alternative to anti-imperialism purely through uh, Islam or purely through the sort of this kind of religious jihad sort of mm-hmm. interpretation, then you wouldn't have had so many problems with it. But um, indeed, what happens is a lot of these people go out to study uh, in Europe or in the US um, and then realize that, yeah, like, not only are these guys more developed, but also they seem to have completely like lost that thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which they are seeing in their own sort of home countries getting lost. Um, and what they, I guess, uh, from my perspective, what they fail to understand is that what is being lost isn't necessarily a kind of faith in religion and more a faith in community. Mm-hmm. And um, the, 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 the sort of obsessive uh, um, capitalist kind of engagement is almost as a, it becomes a uh, antidote for the rot that sort of settles in one community voters. Uh-huh. So it's, it's, it's because that ends up what happened. That's sorry. That's what ends up happening in the Middle East is that as it westernizes and as it sort of opens up, it also starts to engage more heavily with, with, with commerce, right. Um, and starts gets invested in and so on and ends up in this loop. And that's how, as far as I could tell, how these kind of intensifications ended up happening. It's more secularization on the one end that tries to engage with the sort of uh, individualist uh, uh, self-creation in capitalism versus, on the other hand, the communitarian kind of religious mm-hmm. uh, bonding. So both of them escalate at the same time. And so you end up with a place like uh, that would have uh, really nice malls, and uh, cinemas with like 13 screens all playing Hollywood movies, and mm-hmm. also the Muslim government. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, also, that's kind of a, a funny thing. So when I was in college, you know, so I went to Ohio State, and Columbus, Ohio has a relatively high um, Somali population. So you would see these girls walking around in hijab, but they would then also have like designer bags. And it's just this really stark um, literal image because it's it's this, you know, just purely religious kind of iconography and then, well, not purely religious maybe, but... Right, right, right. You know, because... That's, that's another thing, right? Because indeed for us, like, you know, like, especially when before I started moving out of the Middle East, um, I mean, hijab and whatnot is not, you don't oh. see it as religious. It's just what people wear, right? Right, yeah. Um, and if you well, think it's also that it like, did- I mean, it, hijab, you know, to me is it's kind of like similar to, uh, you know, Leviticus uh, uh, propositions or prescriptions about eating shellfish. It's like, uh, if you're in the fucking desert, it's probably not a good idea to eat shellfish because it's probably not you know refrigerated properly right if you're fucking st- iron age tribal culture same thing with a fucking hijab it's like 
hey man, the sun's out all the time. What should I do? <laughs> Cover the fuck up. Don't, you know? don't like, be in the sun I mean, as like, much yeah. as possible. There's, yeah. there's, there are these perfectly materialist explanations for these things that even like libs who drool over justifying them don't go to. It's just like, well, no, that's their religion. It's like, yeah, but it's really not. Because Jews and in, in Christian women in the Middle East, or I don't know, maybe not so much the Jewish women, but Christian women do as well. I think, right? Yeah, to an extent, but also there are like um, sort of little, almost you would say little rules of etiquette, really, if you want to mm-hmm. it in a sort of Western way, that would tell you whether this is being done as a practicality towards culture, a practicality towards the environment, or a, a religious observance. Like, for example, mm-hmm. um, one of those little rules is, uh, especially if you're coming from a moderate to more strict uh, uh, Muslim family, is how whether the hijab covers all of the hair that is not mm-hmm. right because some women will wear it and then it will kind of like peel back a little bit and there'll be like a tuft of hair that will just poke out and um uh, some communities don't view that as a big deal like uh, iranian women uh especially uh as expats often do this um but on the other hand like more religious communities especially if you talk about in iraq or egypt um will view this as a sign of like almost slight disobedience or rebellion. And so mm-hmm. some women go out of their way to make sure completely that all of their hairs are tucked in, right? That's on one hand. On the other hand, in terms of the heat, uh, most of what I heard from, from the women that I knew, extended family and friends and all of that, is uh, it's really sucks to wear a hijab in the summer. Right, yeah, of course. It's fucking hot and humid <laughs> yeah. and it just blows, right? Um, but you, I can see other interpretation, especially in terms of the usual sort of dress. This mm-hmm. stuff, it's usually loose and baggy, open and airy. And also even the men have a sort of head guard that doubles as a face mm-hmm. mask or face guard because especially in the desert, uh, when when nomadology was still a thing, um, this is where like a this was like a, a, an essential piece of equipment. Let's put it that way. Um, so well, another indeed, thing about but, about facial covering as somebody who's been to the Middle East, um, when those sandstorms kick up, like you want something over your fucking mouth. <laughs> Um, yeah, it sucks if yeah, you don't have yeah. something like I, I stood post. That, like, uh, I stood post in in uh, Camp Leatherneck facing the western part of of uh kandahar province uh which if you know anything about that region is just a dust bowl um and so yeah it was like every day around noon i was like "Eh, and here we're we're masking up we're putting some goggles on because i won't be able to breathe or see for the next like two hours and and i was always this is just a weird aside but uh, i was always paranoid that that was when somebody was going to sneak up on my post and kill me because i couldn't see like more than five feet away from my fucking (laughs) post (laughs) it was always like a paranoid time where i'm like huddled in the corner like keeping an eye on the door and like uh... (laughs) but yeah yeah having a facial covering is incredibly important when you're having to deal with sandstorms that's really interesting because I remember also that um, as a kid, at least, you know, in Iraq, uh, whenever there was sandstorms or whenever there was just low visibility, that's when we knew you got to 
fucking stay inside because those soldiers out there are now on their nerves. You do not want any movement in their periphery, right? So in a sense, we're I guess you know both people are kind of hiding from each other, be like, oh please don't. Oh for here. sure, yeah, yeah. But indeed, yes. Like if there's if sand is kicking up, even if it's not a sandstorm. Like I remember some summers our playground in our school, right, would be just kind of unbearable to sort of breathe in just because it's hot and sand is just kind of round. It's kind of like the dust, right? Um, so you just breathe and you feel this like particularly getting into your sinuses, right? Yeah. Not, so, not to have like yeah. a, uh, a Star Wars uh, moment or anything like that, but I, I hate sand. It gets everywhere. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> cool. uh, but no, even even with like a face covering, like I, I would remember like blowing my nose and it would just come out like black and like also like blood and stuff because of all the nosebleeds from from the dryness. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So indeed, that is sort of like um, the, the whole hijab thing. That's how we call it. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, there's there's in terms of like um, how I felt about it once I got to Egypt and then I saw like the more um, the more, uh, uh, let's say, extreme aspects um, of of, uh, uh, of Islam in this specific direction, because what happened in Iraq is the schism happened after the war, in terms of the civil war that happened between Sunnis and, and Shias, which would go on between 2006 and 2008 or nine. Um, I wasn't there for that, but I felt it before it happened, because these things don't just pop up out of nowhere. Of course. And of course, I had family then, right? But then in Egypt, what we saw is that uh, we felt the intensification of uh, people's uh, displeasure with Mubarak. Um, and Mubarak at the time was sort of, it seemed like he was setting up his sons to take over, which is completely not surprising for these dictators. Uh, Saddam was basically doing the same thing with his sons. Um, and one of the places in which this dissatisfaction voiced itself the most strongly is within places like the, excuse me, Muslim Brotherhood, right? And so you feel the unrest and you feel this kind of uh, uh, intensification or radicalization. And me as like a 12-year-old until I was 15, really disliked that. Because what comes with that is a set of beliefs about how the performance of religion um, is actually what's important, right? Mm -hmm. The shift of what becomes important becomes more about sort of falling in line because your community, exactly. Because you need, you know, you need a sort of obedient um, uh, structure, not only from the government who wants to suppress, but also from the oppositions which want to oppose in a specific way. Who are very careful not to sort of fall into the wrong kind of opposition for the Muslim Brotherhood or for people who are adjacent to or thinking about it in Islamic ways, that would be, you know, secular, uh, 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 westernized revolution, right? Um, so there's all these forces playing out. Me as a 12 to 15 year old, I'm just like, why are y'all being so fucking obsessive about this, right? Like it, it's, it, it starts to me to feel like it's more about the performance than it is about truly engaging with the ideas that 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 faith and specifically Islam brings up. Because you know none of these religions are final, 
right? You always have to reinterpret. You always have to uh, um, cross out some things or look for new solutions in the same text, um, which is what those scholars are supposed to do as long as we are talking about keeping the religion alive. But because if you have these conflicts, some people want to preserve it, and in that preservation, it dies. Um, so I hated all that. And I think it is within Egypt that I truly decided that I was quitting, right? Mm. Not only quitting religion and specifically Islam, but also quitting faiths. Um, mm. This is when my biggest doubts about God and about even the, the sort of structure of the universe, as I was taught it, um, mm. was sort of pronouncing himself the most. Um, and that was also a crisis of identity because at the same time that I was losing my religion, I was also uh, losing my place as a uh, sort of maybe, let's say, uh, Iraqi, right? Mm -hmm. My connection to my nationality or my connection to my internal sort of set of beliefs and thoughts. Um, so that was an interesting time to go through where you sort of like all of your borders, all of the things that seem to define you, you start melting away and you end up in this kind of open space where you have to figure it out for yourself. You know, that, that's interesting that you bring that up because um, like I, I had always had doubts when I was a kid about my, my faith in Christianity. Um, and then I kind of refocused on that. And then, you know, when, when, uh, I joined the military, when I really started to lose that again was, was going to Afghanistan and like, like just having this like disillusionment with everything that I was participating in. Um, and, and, you know, like, like you're saying where, where, yeah, I, I lost like my, my identity as, as like a United States Marine was like nothing I wanted to be a part of anymore. And like that, the boundaries of who I was were just kind of like evaporating, and and yeah, that that's when I started um, questioning my faith again, uh, and in a more final way, I think. Um, and so, so yeah, th this is cause this is interesting to hear you talk about this because uh, I think you brought up the other day when we were talking about this that that you sort of uh, identify as a Muslim now. Um, or, or is that yeah, incorrect? I wouldn't even say that. Um, what happened is, is like, this is literally within this month. Um, I, I was having a conversation with a friend and I realized that I actually would like to believe in a God again, would like to have a personal relationship with a kind of faith. Um, sure. But I very immediately, as soon as I realized this, I also realized this has nothing to do with Islam okay. or Christianity. But I, I see those as sort of like signposts, perhaps. Like, you know, reading the Bible, I cannot help but think that there's something here, right? Something very old and something very wise. And it, it, it's, perhaps, yeah. it's just a, it's a way of engaging with the world, I think, you know, because I, I think I experience something similar on a regular basis where, you know, like it's, you know, the, 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 um, sort of fundamentalist understanding of either being agnostic or atheist is that you're certain and that you're like comfortable in that. And it's not like, you know, or, you know, Freud called religious faith, the oceanic feeling, you know, like there is a, or, or it's the sublime, you know, there is, there are a range of human experiences, um, 
that might be interpersonal. They might be uh, an experience of nature. It might be something as simple as eating something that tastes really good that uh, we do not have the kind of purely experiential capacity or language or vocabulary to define. And so naturally, you know, on like kind of a long enough evolutionary timeline, of course, it makes sense that that would go or would have gone to the divine. Um, but then if you don't have um, a belief in or relation to a God who is like kind of the linchpin or fulcrum of that um, divine experience, then it, it, it is profoundly alienating because at that point you're just looking into a void um and so i mean you know like i tend to joke that like i'm a cultural catholic in the same way that you know secular secular jews will say or uh, that they're you know culturally jewish or secular jew secular jews and i, I feel the same way because i mean it there are values that i you know, I was agnostic from the get, you know, but but went to a Catholic school from kindergarten, grew up when the church was baptized, blah, blah, blah. But all, it never felt, I mean, to me, the, the problem is that, like, I'm perfectly willing and, and eager, frankly, even to accept that kind of range of experience that there is, you are experiencing something which is, which does exceed the bounds of human cognition or understanding. Um, but then it comes down to, well, why is it the Abrahamic God? Why would it be uh, Kali or Shiva or, you know, or her Mazda? Or, you know what I mean? Like it just, it goes down to why is it this for me? Like I understand in terms of like an anthropological reasoning, why it is X, Y, Z. But for me, it's just like, I, I'm, I would much rather just have it not be codified and be like, oh, yeah, Yahweh, rock on, brother, you know? Uh, um, but yeah, it, 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 I love your interpretation of that in the sense that there are a bunch of, uh, of pre made or ready made codes that you can start interpreting your feeling of God, your feeling of community, your feeling of love for humanity, whatever it is. You interpret it through those lenses and basically whatever God you end up on is mostly going to be just a matter of where, where you're born. But then mm -hmm. also, if you're able to break from that, what inspires you? Right? Yeah. Which of these stories sound like your story? Mm -hmm. Do I have that about right? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think, and especially too, uh, part of what's so frustrating for me, just within Catholicism and Christianity more generally, it's more a problem with, American evangelicalism is just the divorce from, well, one, with evangelical Christianity, it's essentially a cult of personality around the figure of Christ, um, which we've talked about on, on some of these episodes. But then also the the, politi the politics of these people is so profoundly unchristlike, like, oh, for sure. like willfully unchristlike. Like if you were to say, if you were to, if you were to say, well, Jesus did X, Y, Z, they would say, wow, that's great. Jesus rocks. And then if you say, well, what about a political party that does X, Y, Z? And be like, that's un-American, you know? Yeah. Um, so I, you know, I find 
you know, in the figure of Christ, I, I, there's a great, I place a great deal of stock in like the values that he, according to scripture stood for, but it's the same that I would say, you know, I like someone like, um, any other philosopher, it's like, you know, it's a philosophy. Like there's no, there's no, Oh, I must worship this figure. It's, you know, these are sort of perennial uh, propositions that are kind of, that should be, you know, timeless and true and, and uh, hopefully, you know, even if you're not attempting to act in comportment with scripture, generally speaking, I think good behavior, it would wind up being in comportment with what's world scriptures say is good behavior you know what i mean like yeah you, you don't have to are, be, well you, yeah good yeah oh well, i was gonna say it's like uh, you could take this to the logical extreme and be like ah oh, so do you even think like i don't know human sacrifices in a specific scripture and does that no of course not but but to be sort of reasonable about this and and to approach this in a way that is sort of uh staying to our human uh, uh, spirit anyway, not to sound too Hegelian about this, but um, like the way that let's make this more personal, perhaps so I could describe it better. The way that I feel my God now is almost as a solution to the problem of me wanting to love humanity, but feeling so absolutely doomed within the current situation. Mm-hmm. And so I want to hope, but I don't feel like hoping is really anything but naive. So unless I embody it with the complete naivete of a creator that looks mm-hmm. and sees and maybe judges, right, um, then I can't, it seems like I can't hold on to that hope without a certain amount of pain, without a certain amount of needing to sort of um, absurdify it in a certain way. So by taking right. it all the way to the end and just be like, oh, there's a God. Right? Mm-hmm. And that's why I believe, because God exists. And so even if we fail on this plane, there's still a God who somehow can reset things or a God who simply witnesses. Because at the very least, the fact that there is a witness to my suffering right, right. is enough as a kind of, as a balm for some really hard days. Right? Mm-hmm. Like that's all I need sometimes is just kind of, just being like, are you seeing the shit? Like, you know, and that's enough. <laughs> yeah. I don't need a response yeah. simply by expelling yeah. it. I have enough of it. Yeah, I, actually, you know, it's funny. I had a friend uh, in college who was a Catholic, and she uh, sort of had the same thing. Like, she literally just said, you know, like, I'm comforted by the idea that there's someone up there who loves me, which uh, I don't know. I, like, I just call them the CIA oh. now. Yeah, right. Yeah. I, I, I just, There's somebody I know, watching my, me. Yeah, I just I a boyfriend. <laughs> yeah, right. I it's just it's a uh, they're a uh, they're a, an intersectional millennial oh, yes. generalized anxiety yeah. disorder. Yes, yes. Um <laughs> no, but I just I don't know. I I truly uh you know, the idea of a God that is somehow analogous to human cognition or personality is kind of 
to me. I, I can't, I, I, you know, uh, because I, I mean, just on a purely like logical level, you know, like assuming that, assuming that there is the supernatural power that created us, oh, yes. um, to say that this being whose life span is the same as the temporal horizon of the universe um that they have the same drives as us is ludicrous and you know like i guess so you know you brought up hegel so i'm gonna go to spinoza you know in the whole thing of the university um of you know what is said of god is said of man just it's a matter of intensity or degree so you know when someone says God is good. It's not God is good in a way that's gooder than man. It's God is good in at the level of like a hundred degrees and man is good at the level of 50 degrees. Um, But even then it's like, well, so that kind of proposition still just assumes that God's being is intelligible to us. And so it, I mean, in a, you're just tracing human cognition and human beingness onto the divine, which to me, I'm like, man, I'd rather just fucking worship the sun or a storm God, because that makes more sense to like these elemental primordial forces to me are far more like, you know, that's what deserves. Well, that, that kind of seems to be how religion formed like in the right. beginning, right? Like, like, um, yeah. Th- yeah. And then there's a refinement to these yeah. kind of anthropomorphic. There's, there's like a, uh, an abstraction from, you know, the sun God into being, you know, like, um, you know, the, the, the God of ancient Judea, which is, you know, obviously more from old perceptions of like worshiping the sun because you know god is seen as like a, a glowing light sort of figure um but then yeah it changes into something that's more like uh i mean almost like bu- bureaucratized right <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like now now well, now okay. it's not just the sun now it's now it's the sun has a bunch of rules that you have to you have to follow yeah and- <laughs> right 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 i i hear i'll i'll provide a different interpretation yeah, and this is ahead. not to say that i disagree with you guys because i actually mostly do but i i, I like to add a, a little more, few more points because indeed i think that if lovecraft's lovecraft's best contribution is narrativizing the idea of a being that powerful is not only not good in terms of our species right. for our survival but also it is uh, possibly even imperceptible because its perception would drive us insane. So the human mind right. simply cancels it out. Um, but I think that like, uh, 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 it's very difficult to imagine uh, what the world will be like after uh, you're dead, right? It's, it's difficult to imagine how people will simply move on, you know, and, 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 and not only does the world carry on, but it carries on brilliantly, right? Like sometimes we like to think that the world would get to shit and like we're going to see the best that it's going to be for another 300 years. But by, let's say, by some accounts, that's um, maybe, maybe, maybe there will be a better world after this. But even then, in order for that to happen, people have to believe enough to try and create that world. And some way of doing that is to sort of 
humanize the God in such a way that it becomes not only human, but a transcendence of humanity that mm -hmm. we could get to if we were to be human, if you see what I mean, right? Mm -hmm. So it's almost like, it's like a hope with a horizon. Mm -hmm. It's like, and, and, a, and a definite point that constantly moves forward as you get to it, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, and I would say that even like uh, innovations in religion, like the Trinity, um, are super interesting to think about because in their sort of puzzle box kind of paradox type idea. Oh, right? so it's just it's kind like of like early metaphysics, right? Like, <laughs> Right, exactly, exactly. But it's like you're starting to probe the idea of maybe things aren't just as simple as a song. Maybe things are actually as complicated as a human, and a human and a god and the thing between them, right? Um, and then, you know, like a, a birth without a father, right? Like you're starting to disentangle these 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 hierarchies and fucking around with them, which I think is also um, lost if we are to simply simplify the trajectory of these things is just, ah, we're just trying to, you know, uh, imagine something beyond, right? Or imagine a, or the other thing, imagining a uh, imaginary friend who's looking out for you, making sure that it's <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I do think, I, I think that's an interesting point of this kind of, uh, the, uh, I don't even know what the word would be ameliorative qualities of like cosmology or having a cosmological system. Because I think that is truly like, there is something to be said for this kind of visceral reaction that um, people have to Western secularism of like, this is so you know, obviously there is just sort of the culture shock aspect of it, but there is a spiritual re reaction. I mean, like, it, you know, we do, we just live in a, a culturally dead deadening uh, society. Like, it's just not, it's, there's not much that speaks to the soul if one exists, you it's, know? It's neoliberalism, bro. <laughs> yeah, I guess, I, you know. Uh, honestly, that that's what I that's what I kind of see uh, as being like the primary issue, and and why Western culture sucks so much is is because it's it's this this extraction form of like taking everything and kind of just mushing it together into like a gray paste that that you know like doesn't have any flavor or like uh, spirituality to it, and and you know like. I think it's 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 interesting to hear that that Sal has and I I misinterpreted what you said the other day where you said that you were returning to faith in some form. I thought that meant you were returning to to Islam, but um, I think the three of us probably uh, at some f form or another have have reached like a an understanding of how important spirituality is. Um, obviously, not the the spiritualities that we were fed as children uh that that you know we see a lot of harm in or, or whatever but um yeah. you know the the return to spirituality and and in, in my own life as i'm like driving people nuts whenever i talk to them because i start going on like 
insatiable tangents about uh you know just the, the state the state of the world and whatnot and and how much right. like we we are divorced from like a, a good nature of living uh and being and and it's really all got to do with like just like western culture and, and neoliberalism and and like just yeah like i would like, say right I, i'll interject here and say again um and and this is only just because i love kind of trying to look on trying to look on the bright side of life as stupid and as trite as that is i feel like one of the problems that we have with neoliberalism is that we are kind of stuck in a realism of it as well as a capitalist realism of course where we're constantly just like not seeing the way out of this individualization not seeing a way out of this atomization how do you put the pieces back together but then one has to admit that even under the most uh, 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 drab bland neoliberal places of all time aka the uk um there have been these beacons of like true spirituality within the self right like i would point to like burial uh, uh the the sort of jungle double mm-hmm. yeah uh drum and bass garage album. yes yeah um, and, and burial is great and and those first two albums he explores a space where he's sort of almost creating a communion with the generation mm-hmm. just before him right and and seeing kind of like God in the memories and, and sort of God in the in those moments of euphoria in the midst of this darkness, right? Or at least that's one of the ways that I interpret it. And what mm-hmm. I mean is that pieces of art created like this, and then and it's sort of truly the deepest, darkest sort of moments of the soul, can still reach towards a, a understanding that uh, there is an ascendance to this. And it comes through not only respecting this new vision of the person that we have found, but also going past it and sort of trying to see how can we maximize that freedom through a kind of cooperation. Right? Yeah. At least that's what one hopes. I th- yeah. And I think, but, and to me, what's powerful about something like that is the way in which it, um, you know, uh, talking about the atomization of the self or the kind of, I mean, the professionalization of everyday life, the medicalization of everyday life that, that we are supposed to understand ourselves often in like these clinical and professional terms. Um, And then there is the reaction to that reaction is, you know, sort of new age woo woo where, you know, I'm X, Y, Z. And it's like, no, you're not, but you're just not. Um, but like I'm profoundly and I've always been profoundly interested in uh, systems of thought that try to bracket the degree to which Western subjectivity is funneled through the ego, you know, and I mean, this is why I, this is why I was always attracted to Deleuze, the philosopher, you know, was because that's what his thought was about, um, but, and I think that, it, I mean, especially something like, like uh, burial or, or that kind of music, you know, there is, I mean, for me, I, it would usually more so be like something like black metal. There is just this, this um, 
capacity that sound has to because it because it's almost like by being so like um being so stimulated it kind of creates this little resonance chamber in the self um and i mean like some of the most like transcendent experiences i've had have been at shows you know where it's just like crushing sound and you can't fucking hear anything you can barely hear what you're listening to and it's just like that you know this is it you're dialed in um and it's i mean it's the same thing it's it's carnivalesque almost really um which you know obviously the problem with carnival is after carnival it, everything goes back to the way it was but you know uh yeah i mean i think you know i think yeah art is one of those things that that has that capacity i think um yeah, I would say usually music, probably cinema. You know, I don't know. I mean, it's yeah. kind of, but but the, yeah. I mean, in terms of in terms of imagining ways out, I just don't even. I don't even know, man. I mean, because I generally like to go back to Lovecraft. You know, my attitude is pretty much like you know, life, biological carbon-based life is such a blip. It's not even a blip on the radar of the ultimate cosmic scale. So it's my attitude right now, and I'm sure this will change at some point, but it's just like, I'm just kind of like, I just don't really care. Like I can't be brought to care because it's like, like this, like there's a to me there's just like sort of a hubris of like being like we should try to figure this out like you know which you know it's not like oh yeah it's fine that um you know the u.s does what it does or the capital does what it does but it's also just like It's just it, it literally just like who fucking cares, man? Like <laughs> this is this is going to end in a very real way, you know, before even the ultimate heat death of the universe. Like the before before the universe ends, life will have been ended for uncountable amounts of time. Um, you know, like exactly, exactly. Like, and like, so like just trying to imagine that kind of boggles your mind like that and you struggle yeah. to find the words for it because it's just so incredibly unhuman, right? Like in right. this exact Lovecraftian sense, in the sense of like, not only does it exceed human lifetimes, it exceeds the lifetime of humanity and it exceeds it by such an amount that a comparison of those amounts is incredibly difficult to try and imagine. And that, I think, is why the idea of God is so compelling to me, because yeah. it is essentially that image of a human beyond all that. Mm-hmm. And then how yeah. do we get there? Almost as a challenge of humanity to sort of ascend to that level. And of course, yeah. religion does very much gesture towards that, is that like, you know, the more pious you are, the closer you are to God. Um, but... Uh, I believe, I guess, if there's one thing that I believe is worthwhile in all of that, it is that kind of call to ascend, 
call mm. to escape, call to go beyond what the human, like the human as an evolutionary product is and achieve a kind of human as a, as a metaphysical force that mm. can exist beyond space and time. Geist. Now, it's, it's, right. it's interesting that you're bringing all this up because you, you also participate very heavily in the uh, Trincata workshop. And one of our reading assignments was uh, Leotard's uh, Can can, a th can Thought Go On Without a Body? Um, yes. So so very on, very on topic to what we've uh, both been reading recently. Um, Indeed. That's exactly why I was thinking about it, too. Yeah. Uh, because it, it all kind of... I guess in a way, because even specifically in that piece, I feel there is, uh, at the very beginning, Leotard starts with this uh, ramble about philosophers. Oh, you ask these questions that have no end, and meanwhile, you're forgetting the question of human survival should be at the front, front, forefront of your thought. And I feel that is a question or a, a, a damnation that we can target as a lot of religious institutions that have failed us as people, as humans. Because they're so obsessed with ideas of conquest or ideas of spreading the word or whatever, and forgetting the, the, the central problem, which is how do you make sure that people go on, right? How do you make sure that God's creation goes on? Because without people, then the word of God dies. I don't think aliens are going to read the Bible, right? So they might. It's gotta, <laughs> they might. <laughs> Am I, you know, <laughs> but it's gotta be, it's gotta be us. And so if it's gotta be us, then that kind of line of thinking, that kind of, uh, how to say progressive kind of mm -hmm. approach to it, I feel is uh, perhaps at least an avenue that um, the left writ large um, is, is, is sort of experiencing anyway. Like this interest in esotericism, this interest in like, you know, demon shit and all that, that Tumblr witchcraft shit also. Like all of it is just coming from this idea that there's got to be more. There's got to be more. This isn't enough, right? I'm not getting my kicks. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. Well, I mean, especially, you know, it, it's the poverty of life that, you know, well, the poverty of life is a testament to the bullshit failed uh, failure of any sort of cultural revolution or awakening that supposedly happened in the post-war context in America, post-World War II, you know, 60s, whatever. Like, you know, that preceded just a, 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 world, a global reaction um, which has, you know, like, yeah, neoliberalism is the word that people have decided that uh, <laughs> describes that. But it, it's, it, you know, it's a spiritual impoverishment. It's absolutely uh, conceptual impoverishment. It's a, an impoverishment of material life. Um, and so, you know, naturally, yeah, of course, people are going to go to this kind of the Tumblr witch, whatever, the new age I need this crystal to tell me what shirt, color shirt to wear, whatever the fuck. Um, but yeah, I mean, but it, you know, <laughs> the, the thing for me always is periodize, periodize, periodize. So it's like, that's just the moment we're in right now, you know, um, which isn't to say it's invalid. It's just, it, it's, it, 
is just that there to me there always does need to be a caveat of you know this is profoundly historical um within our own lifetimes um it will change um as we experience it or as other people experience it um obviously we'll always be right um (laughs) because you know that's just how it is um but yeah i don't know i'm just like it's it's all indeed it is all too human right it's It's yeah it's 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 all an accident of history yeah yeah and perhaps in a a way i think i'm coming to realize that i wouldn't want to have it any other way like the mess of it the 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 blood of it the the, Mm -hmm. even the shame of it right like it all just seems to fit like i used to be an idealist who wanted pure transcendence, pure, you know, like when I was religious, I was pious to the T. And in fact, I feared learning new religious rules because I knew that I would have to follow them. And so I tried as much as I can to limit my knowledge just so I don't realize just how much more I need to do because I was that committed. I was like, well, once I know it, I need to do it, right? Because that is how 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 much I wanted to get close to it, right? And now that, you know, I'm 27 as opposed to, I don't know, seven. And um, I'm starting to realize I want the same thing, but I want it to be about people. I want to believe in people in such a ridiculous, uh, naive way, because uh, a, a kind of disenchanted way of looking at it, a world where indeed, as they have created it, a place of like pure personal competition, place of pure commerce, right? That is a world that is completely devoid. And on that, we all agree. So I I want to believe there's not only something else, but that we will get to it somehow. Mm. And if climate catastrophe has to happen and 70% of the population needs to go in order for the other 30% to realize the mistake and reformat the world, then by all means, I just hope that they do something better than what we've done. Yeah, <laughs> pretty uh, pretty low bar. Um, so we're uh, we're <laughs> we're going a little bit long uh, for for the uh, religious deconstruction episode. Um, I think uh, Sal, we we probably lo- like to have you back sometime. I think this has been a very uh, interesting yeah, and good conversation. Sure. Um, not a whole lot of talk about Islam, but uh, I think that's okay. Um, I think we had we had a productive conversation regardless. Uh, so thank you both for joining me today. Um, uh, yeah, thank you for having me. I had a great time. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, we'll, we'll we'll set it up again um, for sure. Cool. Um, yeah, I don't I don't really have a sign off for this except for uh, keep keep living, take your medicine. Take <laughs> mine too. All right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're uh